Welcome to another episode of the Science of Social Impact. Nick here, and we are chatting today with Grant Hensel from Nonprofit Megaphone. Guys, something interesting about Grant. He once wrote letters to all of the Fortune 500 CEOs asking for book recommendations, and 150 of them wrote back. Grant, thank you so much for being on the show today. Say hello to everyone and tell us what maybe the most interesting response was from that campaign. Thanks, Nick. I'm thrilled to be here. It was a wild experience doing that. One of the, I think, most interesting things about that was how many people said Good to Great by Jim Collins as their mm. answer to what's your favorite business book. 25% of the Fortune 500 CEOs said that specific book. So good lessons in there. Wow. That is incredible. We're going to unpack that part of your amazing journey and so many other parts today. Um, but I want to anchor it with a belief because we all go through life with these amazing experiences and those shape our beliefs. So Grant, what is one of your core beliefs that you bring to the podcast today? I believe that life is short and that therefore we should do meaningful work. Hmm. Do meaningful work with the limited time we have. I absolutely love it. Let's unpack that and let's learn more about who Grant is. So Grant, uh, you kick it off, man. Take us as far back as you think is important to go. If that's from birth, if that's from college, if that's from wherever, uh, you kick it off. Sure. When I was 12, I remember driving in the car with my family and seeing a billboard that said something incorporated on it. It was the name of a company, someone's last name incorporated. And I remember saying to my mom, someday I'm going to start Hensel Incorporated. And she said, really? Like, why is that? And I said, just because like, that's what I'm going to do. And since then I have wanted to be an entrepreneur, you know, forever and ever. And I still do like that same, I can't fully explain it, but that is what I've wanted to do my whole life. And, um, I had an opportunity to sort of start down that road a little bit in high school. I was part of starting a thrift store in Hyde Park in Chicago, which is where I live. Born and raised in Chicago area. Born and raised. Yeah. So was that um, a go, go Blackhawks, go Cubs type of thing? Go White Sox? Go White Sox, actually. Yeah. I, I works on the South side and now I live on the West side. So very much White Sox territory. Um, and the games are a lot cheaper. I have to say than the Cubs games. So <laughs> right on. Right <laughs> so on. If you win some, you lose some. Uh-huh. Um, but we started this thrift store and um, it was one of the coolest experiences of my life because it was entrepreneurship. It was owned by a nonprofit. It provided clothing to the community in like a helpful way. There were no clothing stores at the time in Hyde Park. And it was just the coolest thing in the world. So that became now my updated, you know, sort of mission statement was I would like to start companies that also help the world in some way and particularly help nonprofits, which led now to nonprofit megaphone. Um, and I joke that this was also destined from birth because my name is Grant. And what we do is we help nonprofits with the <laughs> Google ad grant, which everyone makes fun of me for incessantly, which I appreciate. Um, but uh, it, the Google grant is a program through Google that gives nonprofits money, $10,000 a month to spend on ad campaigns awesome. in Google search. And so that's what we do. Right on. So, uh, so high school is where the bug kind of first gets planted. The seed first gets planted for this social impact world. Was there some foundations there that you thought made you primed to be to latch on to social impact? Was there anything before that that was uh, stood out in your life? 
It was certainly important um, to my family and my community growing up. Um, my, I, I was actually born in Wheaton, which is a suburb of Chicago, and my family moved to the city to be part of a church plant in Hyde Park. And so that, like from a faith perspective, that being involved in the community and like trying to help the people around us was like very ingrained. So I think having the opportunity to do that in a more practical way with the thrift store then sort of made a lot of that make a lot more sense and sort of click for me. So did you help start, start yourself or just join up with that thrift store? I started it hilariously um, in high school. So I um, thought it would be a cool thing to do. My parents encouraged me to, I wrote a business plan. I went to the pastor of our church and said like, I'd like to start this thing. And he, um, and some other people found funding for it. They found people that donated money, which then allowed us to lease a space and hire a store manager and open a store. And I, I mean, I remember the first day I was there and like no one came in at all. <laughs> and then the second day, no one came in at all. And it took a really long time to get sort of established in the community. But after a year, it was kind of up and running. And, and Wow. And so that's high school grant. And so what year, what year is that happening? What year are we talking about? I graduated high school in 2011. So this would probably be like 2009, 2010. Do we hand the reins off to someone for that thrift store after high school and, and who, how'd that go? And then what happens after high school? Yeah, yeah no, um, handed the reins off basically immediately because we hired a full-time person. I was in high school, so I couldn't be at the store all day. And so we hired a full-time store manager. Wow. Um, who did a great job. And then um, she was succeeded by someone else who also, anyway, there, there have been a succession of store managers since then. Um, but it still but exists. It still exists. Although it seems like this is so sad. It looks like COVID is basically going to have killed it. Unfortunately, oh, man. it closed um, a couple months ago and now maybe is not reopening. <laughs> so oh, that's sad, <laughs> which is tough, but it, it had a pretty good run of about 10 years and so forth. Yeah. Incredible. Okay. So we get to the end of, of high school. You've handed the store off. What happens after that? High school went to college, um, actually in Wheaton, a place called Wheaton college and, um, attempted to start a number of other businesses there. Many of which were just complete smoking craters. Um, one of them was called vibrant and we were going to make like, uh, a website that uh, gave you online courses to learn skills like building websites or graphic design and so forth. Didn't work at all. Um, we basically tried to start what is now called Udemy, which mm-hmm. familiar with people it. have heard yep. of. Yeah. Yeah. No one has heard of Vibrant um, <laughs> because we got run over by a freight train that was called Udemy. So that was fun and great learning experience and did lots of, did lots of other things. Um, like probably five or six other things. Some of them moderately successful, some of them not successful at all. Yeah. So you you really embark on this journey to do meaningful work. The thrift store is like a huge first jump into the meaningful work category. And then through college, you, you use the word we. Is there like a team or a group that is involved in some of these crazy endeavors in college? There's always, yes, a somewhat rotating cast of characters, all of which are much more talented than I am. But um Yes. And some of those, so you, um, Vibrant, for example, the developer who was building that with us is a good friend of mine named Chris Anderson. 
and we we did that together um, unsuccessfully. Um, we did other small things in college that never really went very far. Recently, we actually started an app called the Roundup app, which was also with Chris Anderson, and our designer's name is Shang Lin, and he had done some of this stuff too. We actually just sold the Roundup app business in nice. February. Congrats on that. Um, yeah, which is exciting, so thank you. Um, so yes, it's definitely been, we sort of are growing like a little posse of people that try and do startup stuff. I love it. Um, so you go through, go through college and uh, you're doing the entrepreneurial thing and trying things, failing, trying, failing. Um, when you get to the end of college, there's that massive pressure that most college students face of, oh, where are you going to work? Uh, for someone who had the entrepreneurial bug, how did, like, what happened from there? It was tough because I wanted to go directly into doing my own quote unquote thing right after college, which ended up not being possible. And so that was a good learning experience because I think it was ultimately for the best. I went to work for a consulting company called Slalom and did like data and analytics consulting and actually learned a lot, which has been enormously helpful now with Nonprofit Megaphone and um, Slalom's a really well-run company. And so it was nice to have that mental model to try and transport to Nonprofit Megaphone when we started that a couple of years later. Nice. How long were we with Slalom before you branched out? Just over a year, the classic nice. early career, you know, <laughs> person that everyone hates for <laughs> so soon. <laughs> what was it run. about, uh, well, at what point or what threshold was hit where you said, you know, it's, it's time to, it's time to fly here. The tough part for me is that I, as mentioned, knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur since I was 12 and in consulting, you're rewarded for becoming more and more of a specialist. And in entrepreneurship, in some ways, you're rewarded for being more and more of a generalist. And so I felt that pressure fairly early on. So I actually worked for Slalom for a year, then worked and was responsible for marketing for a small IT company for a year, mm -hmm. which was much more generalist, learned a lot of valuable skills. And then at that point, Nonprofit Megaphone had finally gotten big enough to sort of be a full-time job. And so transitioned to that full-time now two and a half years ago. Yeah. Awesome. You talk about, you know, our time is limited. So do meaningful work. We've learned, you know, where the meaningful work entered into your life. The, our time is limited component is, you know, it's not something that some people even like to think about or uh, enters our mind at an early age. When do you feel like that part of the value statement came in for you? It's a good question. I feel like I've drawn strength or drawn encouragement from that concept. It's funny because most people's reaction to it is, is sort of like, oh, like negative. Yeah. And I don't know, for as long as I can remember, I feel like it's been very motivating. I mean, I have a, I have a phone reminder that goes off every morning that says, uh, <laughs> I mean, what it literally says verbatim is remember that God could take you or Julia, your wife home at any moment. Wow. Like, um, which is which grounds you. You're like, oh my goodness, I'm I'm thankful to be alive. I'm thankful to be here talking to you. Thankful to have the opportunity to work with nonprofits. And you know, this is life is very special. I have a, a Chrome plugin that every time I open a new tab, it shows the expected number of days from like an actuarial life insurance basis. How many days I have expected to live in remaining? Reckless. Um, 
which is uh, which is motivating. You're like, all right, you know, let's make it count. For sure. Yeah, I have, uh, so I have a mentor who the first day I met with him, he's an older guy, he's, he's in his 70s. And the first day I met with him, it was at a Coney Island. Do they have Coney Islands in Chicago or is that just a Michigan thing? No, but I went, I think they have one in Ohio because we went to one growing up. Okay. Anyway. So I'm sitting at, a, we'll call it a diner, right? I'm sitting at a diner and the first day I've met this guy and he he's just telling me about his life. And then he starts to tell me, he says, Nick, like, here, here's a pen. Here's a piece of paper. I want you to write down your birthday, like the day that you were born. And so I write down my birthday. And then he says, okay, I want you to add 74 years to that and then write that year down. And so I write it down and, and then I'm looking at that date and he says, you know, that by insurance tables and statistics is the day that you'll die. And I'm just like, dude, I just met you. Like, what? What? Excuse me? Like, this is morbid. This is crazy. And then he goes on to tell me that he has a clock at his house that's counting down from his day. And he wakes up every morning and sees that clock. And I had, you know, a fork in the road. I could have just left the diner at that point, but I heard him out and started to, to see how just in whatever way you choose to acknowledge it, whether it's through a clock that winds down, whether it's through a Chrome extension, a notification on your phone, you can ignore it or you can acknowledge it. Whatever way you choose to acknowledge it, just acknowledge that our time really is limited and we have to squeeze as much out of it as we can. And doing meaningful work is such a great way to squeeze the juice out of that time, isn't it? Absolutely. Man, how do you think that you teach that or share that with a high school or college student or someone older that hasn't understood it yet? It's a good question. I haven't honestly tried to share it that much because the response you typically get is not overwhelmingly positive. It sort of sounds morbid and so forth. Um, I love what your the mentor, the individual that you spoke with did just to sort of walk you through the, the exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think it's interesting seeing even like, you know, if you think you're going to live 74 years and you're, you know, 28 years old now, what is that as a percentage? If that's, I can't do the math in my head, but you know, if you're 20% of the way through, then have you done 20% of the things that you sort of want to be doing in your finite life? Um, and using that as a, a milestone. I don't, I don't know. I think it's, it's one of those things where once it's mentioned, you can't, I don't know if we have the cap- capability to fully ignore it. Hmm. We're going to go into nonprofit megaphone a bit here. Um, for those of, for those listening who don't know about it again, can you just reiterate again, um, exactly what nonprofit megaphone does and then segue that into when you learned of this space and, uh, how nonprofit megaphone got its start. Sure. So we are a very strange digital marketing agency that only does one thing and that thing is helping nonprofits with the Google ad grant. And sort of, as mentioned, that is a program through Google where any 501c3 nonprofit in the country that's not a hospital or a school can get $10,000 a month of credit to spend on Google ads. So when someone, if you're an animal shelter, someone Googles adopt a dog, your ad shows up right at the top. They can click on your ad, go to your website, and hopefully adopt a dog. And that's what we do. We support 330-something clients 
um, in that. And we have a team of about 31 people right now all across the country. We're all remote. So this COVID stuff is actually sort of business as usual. Mm -hmm. And that's all we do. I learned about the Google grant in college. Um, I was working as like a contractor for a, a bigger marketing company that did lots of different things. And the Google grant was one of them. And I just thought, oh, that's sort of cool. Um, because it's just so powerful. Like you get more leverage out of that than you do most channels, just because of the fact that you have all this money that you can spend. Um, and then I forgot about it and didn't really think about it at all for a couple of years. Um, but the idea sort of rolled back around eventually after college about, is there room in the world for a company that just does this one thing and tries to be the best in the world at it? And that's what we're trying to figure out. There seems to be, <laughs> it seems to be going okay so far, but that's right our on. mission. Yeah. The, the Google ads grant is something that, I mean, not even all nonprofits know about, let alone the average non NPO executive director, et cetera. Um, so it's, it's a really great program and I just wish we could stand on top of the tallest building and say to every nonprofit, Hey, you got to at least check this out, whether it's through nonprofit megaphone or on your own, like, you got to take advantage of this because uh, it's such a great program. We do surveys periodically where we just email random nonprofits and say, have you heard of the Google ad grant and are you using it? We did one when we started. 75% of people said, these are nonprofit leaders, said either no, we've not heard of it or no, we're not using it. Wild. I did that survey again a month or two ago. Same number, 75%. It's like, what wow. in the world? So anyway, it's been around for 15 years plus. For an executive director or nonprofit team member who hears about it, um, how big of a lift are they talking about here? Like, they link up with nonprofit megaphone. Are they going to expect a nine-month onboarding process to get this grant ready, or what's that going to be like? It all depends, but typically it takes a week to four weeks to do the setup process, and that just depends on basically how busy you are and how fast we can communicate with you. Typically, if if an organization's really fast, it takes like three days. Mm -hmm. um, but it's not difficult. Everyone who applies that's not a hospital or a school gets approved and then you're off to the races. And is nonprofit Megaphone's job there done with the nonprofit or is there something that happens after that? We So for the clients that we work with, we kind of have two ways that we can support people. One is we create lots of free resources that people can just use to manage it themselves. Some nonprofits say we don't have the time or the the human talent to run PPC campaigns. And so we'd like to outsource this. And PPC pay-per-click? Pay-per-click, yep, sorry. Yep. No, I'm doing no, no worries. Um, and if, if a nonprofit does not have a pay-per-click specialist in-house, which many do not, a lot of times they'll say to us, you guys manage it and I want to talk to you, you know, once a month to hear how things are going, but I want you to do all the work of running our ad campaigns. And that's, that's what we do. That's our job ongoing. Awesome. So the, the 30 something team members that you mentioned are a majority of them just getting nonprofits into the ad grant into the ad grant, or is it more so the ongoing work? Most of them are doing the ongoing work. We have one person full time who just does the application process. And then we have a couple salespeople, but you know, 20 plus of those 30 people are running client ad campaigns every day. Awesome. As someone who's, uh, who wants to do meaningful work all the time and is an entrepreneur, 
is nonprofit megaphone your only thing right now, or are there some other towers being built? Currently, it's the only thing, which is a massive accomplishment for for me because usually I'm split between multiple projects. Yeah, you're a builder. You're a builder. Well, yeah, yeah, and it's. Um, I've always assumed that I can, I can and should be doing multiple things. And this season, after we sold the Roundup app a few months ago, has just been wonderful to focus on nonprofit megaphone and not really do anything else. Mm. Um, so I'm going to try and maintain that for as long as as possible. We'll see. Historically, I've been bad at at doing so, but we'll see what we can do. Yeah, for for the builder. Um, everything's shiny, but not everything that shines is gold type of mentality. So it's like you can look, but can't touch sometimes, but it is always, uh, always attractive to think of what else is there, but there's such a power in focusing. And I'm sure even in the months since February, you've probably seen like crazy growth in nonprofit megaphone and your ability to hone in on something. Absolutely. And it makes me think what would have happened had I focused the last four and a half years. For sure. (laughs) Here we are. For sure. Um, man, incredible. Um, so, uh, when, at what point did the, the fortune 500 CEO book recommendation thing happen and maybe, uh, give us that story. As with all interesting things I've been involved in, they originated in someone else's idea. So the thrift store was my dad's (laughs) idea. You know, the fortune 500 book project was a good friend of mine in college. Um, whose name is Miles Veth. He's a legend of the sales world. Shout out to Miles. Shout out to Miles. Yeah. Follow him on LinkedIn. Um, He said, we should write letters to Fortune 500 CEOs and ask for book recommendations because that would be so cool. And we talked about it a lot. And eventually I said, okay, let's do it. And Miles was busy at the time with something else. And so he said, you should find someone else to do it with you. So I ended up uh, looping in another of my friends whose name is Julia to, we are now married. Um, but <laughs> I was going to say, I feel like we've heard that name already. Yep. <laughs> so yeah. So multiple benefits came out of this project, but we then, it was finals week, our senior year. Hold on quick pause. Do you, are you friends with Julia prior to this? Like just, yes, we were good friends. Okay. Um, and it's, it's a longer story, but I, she was maybe, interested and I was just being an idiot and so this was a good way for us to like <laughs> hey, we're just being guys yeah <laughs> that's right yeah um but we we wrote the letters it was finals week we had nothing to do because we were only taking like one class each at the last semester of our senior year yeah so we sent out the letters we assumed that maybe 50 people would respond um and so we were very shocked and surprised when 150 responded. Um, and it was, it was one of the coolest experiences of my life. One of the CEOs who's the CEO of GameStop ended up mentoring me for the next two and a half years. We would talk wow. once a quarter on the phone. Um, and this ties back to our theme a little bit. He made time for that because he had just recovered from brain cancer hmm. and had this crazy journey and was very much like our time is limited, like do meaningful work. So he makes time for this random college grad, recent college grad who was never going to be helpful to him, but he just wanted to be helpful to me. And we spoke on the phone every quarter for the next two, two and a half years. Um, And he actually ultimately passed away due to brain cancer, Mm. um, which is horrible. Um, But anyway, it was just, it was one of the coolest experiences. Um, yeah. I've ever had. When you first decide to do that, I mean, it's not easily accessible to get the contact info of a Fortune 500 CEO, is it? 
It is because their name is public on the website and their corporate address is public. So anyone can send them a letter. So this is a handwritten letter to all 500. We printed the letters. We actually hand addressed the envelopes and we hand signed them. Awesome. Um, But our handwriting is not that great. So we did print the, the main text. Okay. So you gather the list, do the handwritten signature, address it, drop them all in the mail at once, 500 in the mail at once. In the mail. And that's, that's uh, you and Julia doing that together. Is it yep. like, was there a first date after the 500 letters? <laughs> <laughs> there was about two months later, right after she had moved back to Minnesota for her new job and I had stayed in Chicago. So we then dated long distance for wow. our entire dating life until we got married. Wow. So what year is the Fortune 500 campaign? That was um, the spring of 2015. Right on. Awesome. And then you guys, you did the date thing a couple months after that? Yep. We started dating that July or August. Julia would remember this and I'm not. And then we got engaged about a year later. We got married about a year later. We celebrated our three-year anniversary two days ago. Oh, man. Congratulations. Thanks. That is so cool. I did not expect the love story to be part of this podcast, but I'm so happy that uh, that, that has come up because what a cool thing. Yeah, it was wild. It was such a fun experience. And everyone makes fun of us because we're both sort of business nerds. And so the fact that we've met, or not that we met, but that we kindled an affection <laughs> letters to CEOs is too, too perfect. Hilarious. You mentioned Good to Great was a recurring uh, book. Um, obviously, is that something that you've read since then? Read it a few times. I It's actually, interestingly, the first business book I ever read because it was on our shelf at home growing up. And so I read it in like middle school or high school. And so it's, and it's actually really shaped like my approach to business mm. and life. What other nuggets uh, did you pick up from those responses back? Lots of... Um, so this is, uh, we don't publicize this as much because it's less cool, but we also wrote letters to the Inc. 500, which is mm. the fastest growing private companies. And one of the books that they really recommended is called Traction by Gina Wickman, which I would recommend to anyone Amazing running an organization. Book. 100% okay. yeah, agree yeah, with yeah. you on that. I, I'm, a, I'm a Traction fan. I'll be front stage at whatever concert Traction's playing at. That book is amazing. Yeah, unbelievable. And so that was, I mean- I think that's been one of the things that I've benefited from the most in my life is like very successful people who did not have to take time spending a little bit of time responding to a letter or talking on the phone to just sort of point me in the right direction. Cause mm. traction has been transformational for us. And it was, you know, a couple of people just answering a question. Did you run EOS at nonprofit or at roundup app or do you run it at nonprofit megaphone? We Yeah, we sort of did it Roundup app. It was a little bit small because there were only four of us at the Roundup app. Um, nonprofit Megaphone, we've run traction basically since day one and continue to. And it's awesome. been hugely helpful. So cool. Man, incredible. Um, and so that's where we are today. You're uh, CEO of Nonprofit Megaphone, doing your best to focus on just Nonprofit Megaphone. Your loving husband to Julia, the... Uh, the letter writing companion that you never thought you'd have. Um, Still living in Illinois? Still living in Illinois. We live in Pilsen, which is a neighborhood in Chicago. Awesome, man. What's, uh, as you look towards the future, I don't know, what's, 
what's maybe one of the bigger goals or dreams that uh, your crazy mind might go chase uh, someday? We'll see. I, I mean, our nonprofit megaphone specific goal for forever has been trying to be like the number one Google grant management company in the world. We're, we're trying to figure this out, but we think as of like this week or last week, we may have gotten there, which is exciting. So that's now prompting a reevaluation process of like, okay, what's the next goal now? Um, so we'll see. I mean, I think I love, we're a totally remote team. I love running companies that are totally remote because they provide job opportunities to lots of folks that for whatever reason, benefit from working at home. Um, we have lots of folks that are military spouses who work for us because they have to move every two or three years. Mm. And so remote jobs are awesome. So, um, and other people, you know, people that have a variety of reasons that it's better for them to work at home. Um, and that has been more fulfilling um, than like basically anything else. So as I look towards the future, I would just love to be part of like job creation for people um, who may have hard times finding jobs, but are extremely talented and sort of just deserve a shot. Mm. What's something that scares you? I am scared. I think at a deep level that the, like being truly successful in business requires being an extrovert. And that's something that I fundamentally am not. Mm. Um, And that it, it requires like a degree of coolness and that like I'm fundamentally just not a cool and everyone would agree with us. Like I'm just not <laughs> that interesting of a person or like whatever. And so um I think I wonder about that sometimes. Hmm, very interesting. So you're labeling as an introvert, self-labeling as an introvert. Yeah, like an ambivert, probably technically, but I'm yeah. definitely not an extrovert. Do you do you get get energy or lose energy from being in large groups, large crowds, lots of talking? Does that invigorate it's- you or does that tire you? it almost always tires me unless it's like other entrepreneurs. And even then it's still tiring after not that long. So, yeah. Wow. Um, what is, uh, something that we don't know about you and could just never know by reading anything online? My middle name is Grant. You could probably figure that out though. My first name is Andrew and I've gone by Grant Wow. since I was a kid. So, and that confuses people. Um, Oh man, I don't know what else. Any reason why you don't go by Andrew? I since birth. So my my parents liked the name Grant. My dad's name is Andrew. They wanted both of them in there, and they thought that Grant Andrew Hensel didn't sound as good as Andrew Grant Hensel, which doesn't really make sense when you think about it because you'd never say the person's full name. But right. anyway, that's the story I've been told. So here we are. Right on. And so Grant it is. Grant it is. Man. Incredible. Um, well, I'm going to let you kind of wrap it up here, man. Um, I want you to kind of bring it full circle um, and just really bring it home for us on why you really believe our time is limited, why we need to do meaningful work, and uh, what your advice is for someone who maybe hasn't embraced that, is thinking about embracing that, or just, yeah, needs to learn how to do that. Thanks, Nick. And thanks again for having me. I'd say just wrapping it up, even if the concept is scary, do the exercise that your mentor came up with, you know, write down your birthday, write down 74 years after that. And just, I don't know, put it on the wall on a sticky note or something and then forget about it and and don't even worry about it, but just have it there as a reminder that each day is valuable. Each day is important. Each human being is infinitely 
worthwhile and you know we're all here only once Mm, incredible man how can someone connect with you learn more about what you're doing LinkedIn is probably the best way. Um, it's just Grant, G-R-A-N-T, Hensel, H-E-N-S-E-L. I think I'm one of the only Grant Hensels out there. Awesome, man. Cool. We'll check them out on LinkedIn, guys. Uh, we've been talking today with Grant Hensel and such a great, great value statement here, everyone. You know, our time is limited. Do meaningful work. Uh, and thank you, Grant, for being just a testament and a torchbearer for for that value statement. Thanks for all you do for the nonprofit world. Um, and we wish you all the best as you guys uh, try to conquer the world uh, for Google Grants management and whatever comes after that. Thanks again, Nick. Really appreciate it.